0: The following is a sermon from the Vicar at Shure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to shure-foundation.org. Our gospel text this Christmas Monday also serves as our sermon text from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. Please be seated. Merry Christmas. Christ is born. Today is a day where we get to celebrate one of, if not the most, impactful and and well-known stories of all time. The Christmas story. And the Christmas story, as you know and love it, comes from the words of Matthew and Luke. But our focus today is on the words of John. And John gives us something different. He doesn't talk about, he doesn't talk about Mary and her shocking, unbelievable pregnancy or her husband Joseph's reasonable doubts about his new wife's child. He doesn't Talk about the angelic messengers that came to those two main characters to put their fears at ease. He doesn't even take us to the grassy hillsides covered in sheep, illuminated in the night by the world's greatest choir, praising God. He doesn't unveil Herod's plan to kill all the babies and make sure that he was the only king around. He doesn't even mention the wise men and their career-long dream of meeting the new king coming to fruition. John doesn't talk about that. That's the normal Christmas story we love from Matthew and Luke. It's it's human, but it's divine. It's, It's gritty and it's real, but it's ethereal and it's profound. But John takes us somewhere else. He takes us to creation on Christmas. He takes us before that, into eternity. He takes us to the baptismal waters of the river, of the the Jordan River, and he shows us the face of God. And he does all of that to do one thing. To show us the incarnation of Christ. Incarnation. It's not just a $10 word. It is the focus and the substance of Christmas. So with John in in chapter 1, we're going to see the unfolding of the Incarnation. The essence, the importance, and the uniqueness. As we unfold that first layer of the Christmas miracle, the essence of the Incarnation, there's so many moving parts in this text and teachings that we could pull out. But really, there's one central thing to focus on. The most simple part. The Word became flesh. It's the Word. The Word that was with God and is God and created the world. He is a person of the Trinity and he is Jesus Christ. And he came to take on flesh. As a seminarian, someone studying to be a pastor we spend a lot of time talking about all the different ways people have messed up Jesus in the past. Some of these scholars have said that Jesus was like half and half, half God, half man. Or maybe he was not quite God, but he was really, really close. Or maybe he was like an ocean of divinity, of God, with just a drop of man so that he could be human with us. And these were the most smart and intelligent scholars of their day. Experts in the Bible. But they all got it wrong. They couldn't see the point that John is talking about here with the incarnation. The man that we see, Jesus Christ, is true God. And it's hard to blame them, really, for the misunderstandings about who Jesus is. John describes Jesus coming into the world like spotlight, shining and illuminating the darkness. It's as if his words, his message, his very existence just blast through and destroy the darkness. We can't comprehend it. We can't grasp this mystery of how God and man can coexist in one person in Jesus or how our God, our Creator, could be a baby in a manger. We don't understand it. But the essence of the Incarnation unfolds before us and illuminates us. So we aren't in the darkness, grasping about, trying to understand this mystery of the Incarnation. Instead, Christ shines on us. He is our light. And we get to believe in Him as who He really is, our Savior the first unfolded layer of the Incarnation, the essence. But John asks us to go deeper. He asks us to to ask why. John says that Jesus made his dwelling among us. And that brings us to the next layer, which is the importance. Have you ever thought about how Jesus likes people? Jesus likes humans. He wants to to be friends with us. It's not just, that oh, Jesus loves you. It's a, Jesus wants to be your friend to all people. He created us specially in his image. And at creation, he said, I want you to take care of the world for me. He never wanted to be separate from us. But we were separated from God when we sinned. So God came to us. In verse 14, it says, He made His dwelling among us. And that word for make His dwelling in Greek, it comes from the word tent. So you could almost say Jesus tented among us. And what John is doing is he's calling our attentions back to the Old Testament when the Israelites built the tabernacle. And there was a place in the center of the tabernacle where God dwelled with His people. And that was a great comfort to the Israelites. So now, Jesus brings that idea back. I'm going to dwell right among my people, but it's better than what it was in the Old Testament because this Jesus has hands and feet and skin and hair and a face that we can talk to, that we can listen to. He's as real as anyone else, yet all did not receive him. I remember growing up, My siblings and I would be watching a movie or playing a video game or something like that. And my dad would oftentimes sit on the couch next to to us and, and just watch what we were doing. And that was his, right? Right? It's his house, his TV, we're his kids. He can just hang out with us. But once we became teenagers, this was not cool with us. This became the bane of our existence when our dad would come just watch what we were doing. And it's not like we were involved in anything bad. But I remember about those times. He never cared about the movie we were watching or the video game we were playing. So when we, out of our teenage angst, would yell, Dad, why are you even here? He would always say, I dislike you guys. Jesus likes us. But the world doesn't want him to be with them. If you go into New York right now, you will see millions and millions of dollars in Christmas decorations. And by that, I mean red and green and trees and lights and and slogans about feeling the love and laughter and giving of Christmas. And I'm not saying that Christmas decorations without Jesus in them are, are evil. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is Christmas is the time where we receive Christ. And John says that those who receive him are given the right to become sons of God. Not about not, not sons of the world, not sons of flesh, but sons of God. The incarnation is important to us because it's Christ, our Savior, who wants to be with us and through him we have justification from sin. There's a really famous piece of artwork, Lutheran artwork, by a man named Lucas Cranach. I encourage you to look it up if you haven't seen it before. But on one side of this huge painting is Martin Luther in the pulpit preaching. And on the other side are his members listening. But there's something in between his members and Martin Luther. It's, it's striking. It's in contrast to the rest of the painting. It's almost offensive to what you're, when you're, what you're looking at in the painting. But Martin Luther is pointing, in the middle, to Christ, stretched out on the cross with his blood flowing. Martin Luther was known for always taking his people to the cross of Christ to show them justification from sins. So yes, even here today on Christmas Day, when our Savior is lying in the manger as just an innocent baby, we have to look at the cross. We get to look at the cross. Because through Christ's work we see our justification from sin. All of our sin washed away in the blood of Christ. Yes, the incarnation is important to us because because Christ likes us and, and, better yet, loves us and wants to be with us. But there was something that separated him from us. So we had to fix that problem. And he did it through his perfect life and innocent death on the cross. He had to come to this world wrapped up in flesh to live a life with temptation and human emotion and a painful death and he did it without mistake. So that that death meant something for you and I. It meant that we have his righteousness by faith. The importance of the incarnation. God likes you. Better yet, he loves you so much so that he came to this earth to live as a human, to take away your sins. There's one last layer I'd like to unfold for you on this Christmas day. And it's something we can't ignore. It's it's the uniqueness, the newness of the incarnation. You can't really ignore it because when you read John, chapter 1, John is just saying the same things over and over again. He's trying, he's, he's trying to make you see. The word became flesh. John the Baptist calls the coming Savior, he says he's better than anything that has ever come before him. The light is that, he's the light that everyone pointed to. And John the writer says, no one has ever seen God until Jesus Christ, the Son of God, made him known to us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. You know, I, I recently saw a Subway ad. It was this massive poster with a really simple design. It was an all-black iPhone 15 with a really aesthetically pleasing shot. And right above the shot of the iPhone was the word neuphoria. And I could just, All I could think was, give me a break. It's an iPhone. It's nothing special. I won't get on my soapbox about how each iPhone isn't really that new from the last one or how, in spite of that being true, I still track the new iPhone products and buy them. But is that really what we have best as as euphoria? This intense feeling of joy and, and happiness over unboxing the new iPhone 15. Is that the best we've got? Unbox this. A wooden feed trough in a stable in Bethlehem holding the creator of the world, who from eternity chose Christmas to come to us. Where's a greater example of euphoria, joy over the new Christ, our King? come to us on Christmas Day full of grace and truth for the first time ever. Christmas can be hard. Maybe it's loneliness and a feeling of of homesickness. Maybe it's the stress of fulfilling family expectations and trying to make Christmas just perfect for everybody. But whatever consumes your heart at Christmas, let Christ consume it instead. Let Christ dwell in your hearts. God in eternity chose this one moment to come to earth and take on flesh, to be with you. What undeserved love. What truth in God's word that all the prophecies and promises of God would come true today, there's euphoria for you. A true reason for joy. The new Savior from all our sins. God chose Christmas to let us rejoice about the incarnation of Christ. God chose the writer, John, to unfold the incarnation before us. God chose you to receive his greatest gift, the baby Christ Jesus, who lived the life we could not live and died the death we could not die, that you and I might have his righteousness. Amen.